Sequel Quest, Episode 73, the inaugural MCU Phil Coulson Awards. There's no MCU without a Y-O-U. If you ain't buying movie tickets, there ain't nothing to do. Talking Iron Man, Thor, and Captain America too. MCU, Y-O-U. Yeah, Kevin Feige had a vision for a brand new day. Sticking to the source material, he showed us the way. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first annual Phil Coulson Awards, and here's your host, Jeremy. This is a night for heroes to shine in a light that isn't radiating gamma, cosmic, or vita rays. We sent ballots all across the Marvel Universe to our Academy members in New York, Sakaar, Wakanda, what's left of Asgard, Ah, we got some return addresses there. And that vast black hole called the Internet to find out what your favorite moments, characters, and movies have been in this decade of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. If we can't protect this podcast, you'll be damn sure we'll avenge it. And so, from the far reaches of the galaxy... Invincible Adam Excelsior and stumbling out of the Baxter building Mighty Jeff It's clobbering time Alright and I am Captain Podcast Jeremy It is crazy to think that we have had 10 years of Marvel movies and they have grown to be the juggernaut that they are now. Because when you look at the state of comic book superhero films prior to 2008, I mean, there's one name that reigns supreme. Spider-Man. <laughs> bad, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. So in other words, no, there is not one name that reigns supreme. <laughs> well, Superman had his rise and then just fall, and it's been Batman, Batman, Batman. It really has. We've had what? The Burton iterations, the Schumacher iterations. Then we had to wait a while, got Nolan, and now we have Batfleck and potentially another? 
And just think of the things that came out of that, the cartoon shows the and video spin-off games, live actions, video games, like, yeah, everything. But it was kind of like you could count on these Warner Brothers characters and Marvel characters always ended up being TV movies or some very popular cartoon shows. But it just, they had never quite translated. Like we said, Spider-Man, yes, but the Hollywood version. Raimi did a good job staying pretty close to it, but at the same time, things get updated and changed. Just, you know, organic web shooters, anyone. And so, can you really say, I'll ripped from the page? Well, It depends on which page. Well, and it's the same thing, too, I would say, with Fox doing X-Men. Is that the, the default belief that Fox and Sony and all these people... I mean, even you look at Christopher Nolan, you can't directly adapt a comic book to a movie because people aren't just going to like it. For me, that's one of the biggest things Marvel changed, is that is out the window now. Right, you can't have yellow leotards. Nobody would believe that. It wouldn't look realistic. And yet, Marvel Studios, since their inception, has pretty closely stuck to something that has been on a page and presented it to the public in a more or less realistic world. And it's been amazing to see how that just started from a few little projects that it's like, ugh, I don't know if these guys will do very well, but they're going to keep our comics afloat. Yeah, well, when you think about it too, you know, the DC characters, I mean, they've had film adaptations going back to the 40s. I mean, there were serials of Superman and Batman. And and to be fair, Captain America had his moment back then too (laughs) in a very different form. But it's it's one of those things where they kind of had that head start for so long and everybody knew Superman, Batman, People know Spider-Man, you know, but then the rest of the Marvel Universe, you know, aside from the, you know, the Hulk had a TV series that was fairly successful, but everybody else is kind of in the dust and, oh yeah, I heard about that. I think I saw a cartoon once, but you guys mentioned the X-Men and I feel like that was really the first big Marvel success, but the man behind that was not Brian Singer. If you look at who laid the groundwork for the MCU, it's a gentleman named Avi Arad. And if you have watched anything Marvel in the last 30 years, I mean, you have seen his name in the credits. He's a guy who's just a visionary. He was a toy maker. He had the Toy Biz toy company in the in the 80s and 90s. And he's the one he licensed the first Burton Batman film, made the figures for that, then got the Marvel superheroes brand and started producing those characters. And from there, he's the one who got the X-Men, the very famous X-Men animated series on Fox Saturday mornings going, which was probably the biggest Marvel property for a few years there. It obviously was what led to the, the film even being made. He's basically been the producer on everything. Fantastic Four, the Spider-Man films, just go back and look at it. Even, you know, even the uh, the early days of Daredevil, you know, Electra and all those other films that Ghost Rider, the ones that aren't anybody's favorites. But he had his hand in the in the pot there. He was the one stirring things up. So without him, we wouldn't be where we are because he raised the awareness of Marvel characters, I feel like, in a big, big way. Whether or not they were always the best stories being told, that's up for debate. But what can you tell us, Jeremy, about the man who I guess would be considered the mastermind of it all, Kevin Feige? He has been somebody that 
you know, going back to the X-Men from, what, 2000 on, he's been in the background, he's been on those sets, he's been in the ears of the main producers, and he's been the guy that's fought for and won some battles as to how accurate even those films were. And he's just been somebody that had been a fan and also could visually and was visionary enough to see how to translate that to the screen. He could see an end game. He could figure out where things fit. So he's been around this superhero game for a while until Marvel Studio proper broke off and started doing their own thing and somebody decided to give him the reins. Go for it. Here's the keys to the kingdom. Sink or swim, buddy. Yeah, and it's amazing what he's accomplished because he's created this collaborative environment in the MCU, which is what I find the most interesting. You know, not that film itself isn't always collaborative, but there just seems to be this whole community that they've created where everybody's on the same page, despite the fact making movies about wildly different properties. They all could be interwoven and come together, you know, and in some cases that, you know, has been to the detriment age of Ultron, perhaps. And, uh, <laughs> I know Jeff, for you, the biggest disappointment was losing Edgar Wright on Ant-Man. Well, and also Thor two, I think Thor two. Yeah. Kind of, yeah, goes that's a stain, but I think what's important to look at Kevin Feige's role is he's also been, he, I, I guess what you could say is he's the Stan Lee of the MCU, right? He's the guy who is the face, the voice, the one everybody looks to. He's the one who's put it all together. Again, it's not 100% on his shoulders, but I do believe that most everybody answers to Kevin. He's the guy they trust. He's the one that has shepherded each property moving forward. But I also find it interesting that in those early days, just if we get into the behind the scenes business, you know, Marvel Studios was just being put together and they had Paramount distributing their films. And then from there, you know, we go out a couple of years, things get pretty popular, things are growing. And then who's throwing their hat in the ring? Disney throws what? I think it was $4 billion they threw their way. And for the time, that was an insane, like, oh, you'll never make that money back. Like, really? And at the same time, they bought Star Wars and they collaborated with Feige, and they embraced his vision, and it started paying dividends. The interesting thing with Disney is that, that it has not been Disney's strength in the past, both with Star Wars and Marvel, is that they're like surprisingly not interfering. I kind of get the feeling that they do take a look at certain points and go like, uh, yeah, this needs to change. And they'll maybe throw a, a little bit of studio interference in there. But for the most part, yeah, they're just giving them free run. And they're just saying like, listen, this doesn't need to be a Disney movie. This can be a Marvel movie, but we're the ones that write the paychecks. Same thing with Star Wars, is that Star Wars are still Star Wars movies. It's not like they're Mickey Mouse cartoons or anything like that. You know, it doesn't feel like a Disney movie other than, you know, again, maybe they take off the edge here and there as studios do. A part of that is like Disney's kind of been the umbrella fund, the umbrella company funding smaller studios in the past. Like they had Miramax for a while and those movies are definitely not Disney. 
but they were owned by Disney. So to see that they've got Lucasfilms, it's kept as its own studio. Marvel Studios is its own studios, all under the Disney umbrella. And that kind of gives them freedom to say, hey, yeah, you can do up until this point. And I think even they're willing to bend even those hard and fast rules or the assumed rules by the fans because this acquisition with Fox, they're open to continuing the rated R's and things as long as that fits well, that universe. <laughs> they're saying that, but right, I right, 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 right. When De- Deadpool 2 comes out, we'll see what song they're singing after that. Uh, But it is that one thing, too, and we kind of touched on it already, is especially today, we tend to forget how crazy not only Iron Man itself was and the success of Iron Man. I think we take that for granted, but maybe the biggest part is that they somehow got Robert Downey Jr. and Jon Favreau connected to this. And not only that, I mean, they also got uh, uh, Terrence Howard, who was huge at that time. He was coming off of Hustle and Flow and Crash, and like he was the big serious actor, which is one of the reasons he's not around anymore, uh, in Marvel at least. But that they got those guys, which gave it that credibility. They had a good script. They pumped a lot of money into it. Taking that risk, which we don't see a whole lot of that anymore, but taking that risk of like that could have flopped. Because the reality was, like you said, Adam, nobody knew who Iron Man was at the time. Comic book fans did, but kids growing up, they didn't want to, like, I want an Iron Man costume. They didn't even know who he was. Same thing with them. They did Thor. These were untested things. And to sink that deeply into it was quite a risk. And it's it's amazing how it paid off. Well, and in more ways than one, because not only, you know, did they build this amazing universe and they've entertained millions, billions, you know, but they've gone to the point of changing the way Hollywood thinks about making movies. I mean, prior to this all going down, maybe you had a trilogy, right? You know, so you had Star Wars, you had some Indiana Jones films, you had Lord of the Rings. But it's one of those things where to imagine 10 years of consistent movie making with characters crossing over and being a part of other wildly different characters franchises that is unheard of and nowadays that is what studios are trying to do right we know warner brothers has tried to catch up and do that unsuccessfully yeah to their own detriment there i mean we're we're building up to the 19th film in this universe they're all connected yeah and they're all connected not only those but you also have all the interconnected netflix series Hulu, The Runaways, you've got a few failed attempts at TV shows, humans, (laughs) and even Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, they have an immersive universe that almost every month you have something Marvel-related coming out, and it's just insane. But at the same time, it's not overdone. Like, we're about to hit the reset to where... It's a blank canvas, almost. I don't know that I agree with that. <laughs> I feel like, for me, that's why Infinity War is so is the biggest film that Marvel has made. Because if it doesn't, it's got to do like four 
things knocked out of the park or else I feel like it's not the beginning of the end. I think Ant-Man was the beginning of the end if, <laughs> if, if there was an end. But it's that reality that it's just like, we've seen this before, you know? So you're going to give us another origin story? It may have run its course, unless you're right, Jeremy, unless somehow they can manage to do it all again and convince us that all of these other characters are just as good as the first characters. And replacing Captain America with Ant-Man like, that's just as good, right? Uh. Well, let's save some of this predictions for the end. We've got we've got a bunch of stuff to get through. So, yeah, this is super ambitious what they're doing. And, I mean, you have to kind of applaud them for making it this far. Like, you, it used to be what the Star Wars trilogy came out within 10 years of each other. Three movies that set up a whole universe that they didn't do anything with for years. And Marvel's got 19 interconnected films, many of them in production or being written at the same time. That's a lot of moving cogs. And somehow it's worked mostly. Yeah, they've only stumbled a few times. Like they're at, their batting average is crazy and people are looking forward to it. And I do feel, like you said, you know, if it's going to be a new beginning, all the better. I just, because the one thing I'm hoping is that we just don't get back into another long range, got to gather all the infinity stones and got to get all that. Cause I feel like that maybe, uh, was, it was a nice idea and it's gotten us to infinity war, but I feel like that in some ways slowed down the progression of some of the films and allowing them to stand on their own in the past. Potentially. So I, I, I'm curious to see what they would do now in this next phase and where they will take it. But we're here to celebrate phases one, two, three, right? We're here to see what people thought were the best of the best. Why don't you tell them, Jeremy, a little bit about the origin of this award itself? Well, generally when you have an award, it's usually in the name of someone. And in the Marvel Universe, we've had a few hero deaths. We definitely didn't get enough Quicksilver, so I we couldn't we couldn't well, name we it after him. The Pietro man. Award. Yeah. So in memoriam of, we're calling this the inaugural Phil Coulson Awards, and we'll hand out the Coulson Trophy for each of these categories. So let's start off with the first one, and this is for Best Couple. Let me open the envelope here. Scott Lang and Hope Van Dyne. (laughs) (laughs) They're a couple? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think, to be perfectly honest, I feel like this is not one of the strong suits of Marvel. Let's be honest, the romances... Bruce Banner and the Black Widow? Come on, dude. (laughs) I I think my vote was for Thor and Loki. So, yeah. We also had a Cap and Bucky, which could have been acceptable. Bromance. I mean, totally the bromance. They have the strongest relationship. I'm trying to imagine in my mind of the votes that we collected, because just to be clear, our Academy is made up of past guest hosts, as well as sending out a ballot to the internet on social media for those who want to participate. So this is not Jeremy, Adam, and Jeff deciding these things. And so I'm trying to imagine in my mind, what is it about Hope and Scott that people could connect to? Well, again, I'd say that there's not much else, because, I mean, you could do, what, Captain America with Peggy Carter, except for she died in the the second movie or whatever. (laughs) 
So but it was it the third in the generation. Third. No, it doesn't. She went. He went onto her niece, man. That was so gross. <laughs> but anyway, so you got Pepper and Tony, really? Yeah, but again, but he's a jerk to Pepper, and she leaves him like four times. Yeah, she may or may not have broken up with him permanently, but with Wasp and Ant Man. There is like a banter going back and forth, and there is kind of the will they, won't they. Paul Rudd is a delight. Come on now. I get it. I mean, to be fair, my the, I feel like this is one that people would overlook. I put the Bartons, Clint oh. and Laura Barton. Hawkeye. What? Do we Hawkeye even see his wife? Yeah, He's in Civil War. Tonight. No, so in I Age of Ultron. They have a moment to shine. <laughs> and they have that moment where she gives Hawkeye value on the team. You know, that nobody else is going to give him any credit you know fans or should they he shoots arrows man (laughs) but he's what anchors the avengers to humanity no no he's not he's avenging he knows that (laughs) but hey congratulations hope it's got you got a film named after you both maybe it's the potential that people saw all right (laughs) let's dive into the best villain this should be a runaway and Loki. Any surprise there? Well, this is another one where if if they're not good at relationships, they're maybe even worse if you ask me about villains. <laughs> so many of these villains. And again, I love me some Thor, but let's be honest, like Malaketh, the evil elf. Come on, dude. <laughs> like, and that was Doctor Who for crying out loud. Oh, and even Destro. He... Don't forget, he played Destro in the GI oh, Joe: Rise of Cobra. He's really grumbled about making Thor and and that one. And that was the thing that bugged me from Black Panther is everyone was saying how phenomenal Killmonger was. And it was just kind of like, if you ask me, Killmonger was adequate, but in the Marvel world, that makes you superior because there hasn't (laughs) been much else. And even Loki, the funny thing is, is Loki, Loki's kind of a funny villain because he's not really a villain. He is, but he's like, He kind of jumps back and forth. He's all about chaos. He's all about messing people up. He's not really about evil, unless that's how you define evil. Well, isn't Loki like the only, uh, so far, the only multi-movie villain? Well, usually they die at the end of all the movies. (laughs) Right. That's (laughs) what I'm getting to. Marvel heroes are pretty bloodthirsty. Let's be honest here. That's my daredevil rant, but... We can save that one. Well, this is what I would say, though. Like, let's let's look at Loki. Why, then, do people always point to Tom Hiddleston's performance as being the best villain? Was he the best written? Like, I feel like in Thor, he was okay. He Like, you, you felt bad for Loki. I felt like their final battle maybe wasn't as dramatic as they wanted it to be, where he falls and disappears, leading into the Avengers. Well, and we thought he died at that point. Like, we weren't sure what happened. But bringing him back with Joss Whedon in The Avengers as the main villain and having somebody who can write a good villain doing it, well, at least an adequate villain, that's where the Loki love really kicked off. And I think it extends beyond that, too, because I think what it is, is do you remember when he showed up at Comic-Con in costume, in character Uh as Loki? I think that endeared him to people forever. The fact that he was willing to play that part and he was willing to have fun with it. And so I I feel like he's, he's extended his reach in that way. I think, too, it's the nature of Loki. 
is that it's the same thing with Joker. The, the reality is, is that he is, he's lovable because he's, he's a, he's a rascal and he's like always kind of has a witty, like for me, and that was one that I think when we talked about Ragnarok, I know Adam was way anti-Ragnarok, but at least for me, that was one of the things that Ragnarok took away is that when you make Thor also banter, then that takes away Loki's thing. But before, I mean, like in Thor 2, which was much darker, the highlight, I thought, was the Loki and Thor back and forth. Because right. Loki is like, he's, again, he's just so much fun to root against, I guess. Yeah, so great villain. I Well-deserved, obviously. Will somebody take it in 10 years from now? Are we going to find out that Thanos is everybody's favorite oh, villain? Golly. Remains to be seen, Josh Brolin. And will Loki meet his demise? All right, on to our next category. This is for best origin story. Oh, oh boy. We, we've got an issue here because we're tied. And we went to the fan vote. And we're tied between Captain America and Iron Man. I think that's fair enough. Yeah, I mean, they could, I mean they're the two stalwarts, right? Yeah. You know, their status in the Marvel Universe is equal. They're kind of two sides of the iconic heroism, right, that we yeah. think of. So I think that's valid, that their origin stories are on different sides of the hero's journey, mm. wouldn't you say? Because uh, Steve Rogers so. started out as a hero and was given powers. He was a hero before anything right. happened. I now, mean, here's my question. Is Tony Stark a hero? Or is Iron Man a hero? What makes one heroic? I don't know. Maybe a bigger question. Well, but but I think that's what it is, is where Steve kind of started out already on top of the hero game. Tony has had to learn it and earn the title. He came from a very selfish, self-centered, destructive. Nice. Isn't he still? He still seems awfully selfish and self-centered. I mean, he created Ultron and then blamed everybody else for it. That that is one area where I feel yes, he was misguided, but it was he was trying to do it for a good purpose. It yeah. seems same with the the Accords in Civil War, right? He uh, thought that was the side he needed to be on because they needed to be held in check. And I, I feel like <laughs> not he's, me personally, he's still but growing. you guys need to be held in check. <laughs> <laughs> Subtitle. Uh, no, yeah, well, for me, like, I know for me with these two movies in particular, uh, especially as the purist that I am, I felt like I really enjoyed Thor. I mean, again, I'm a Thor fan, and so I felt like Thor, maybe more than any of the other ones, more captured the essence of the character. Whereas with these two movies, I feel like they did the best adaptation of the actual origin story. Like, for me, in that first Iron Man, when he builds the suit and he comes out literally looking like the original Iron Man from the comic books, it was like, wow, like, you did it. You figured it out, like everything that we were talking about. And then the same thing with Captain America, where doing most of the movie set back in, you know, the 40s, and, and even getting the guy that directed The Rocketeer to direct it. So it really felt like that kind of all-American, you know, hero story. Like, I thought it really, really worked well. So as an origin story, for me... I would say these two stand above the rest as well. 
and what we brought up earlier, the, the idea that nobody knew who these yeah. Marvel characters were. The, the, fact the B that, team. Yeah. How many people, I mean, the majority of people you would talk to, who's your favorite Avenger? It's going to be between Captain America and Tony Stark, depending on your point of view and your attitude. Do you like guys with a little bit of humor or do you like the straight ahead you know, white bread, good guy, but you can always count on him no matter what. It's that sort of thing where I feel like those movies made Chris Evans the ultimate hero in many people's eyes, you know? And so I think to me, it's, it's amazing what they accomplished from an origin story standpoint, that they told the stories so well that people could connect for that many movies when Steve Rogers ultimately dies in Infinity War, I'm sure we are going to be shedding some tears. <laughs> so I think that's pretty awesome. All right. Let's turn to the next category here. This is an Adam favorite best movie poster. And the winner is Captain America Civil War. Interesting. Oh, really? You get the most bang for your buck, I guess. I don't yeah. know. I get two heroes on it. <laughs> well, no, you get like all the heroes. Wasn't it just their faces and then everybody behind them? Yeah, lined up on the two sides. Yeah, I guess you're right. Okay. I was thinking of the one because I, I was thinking of the image, the graphic they used a lot of just Cap and Iron Man kind of facing off. Yeah. I mean, we had all sorts of choices on here. Nobody got more than two votes except Civil War. I would say, though, just to be frank, I, I feel like, Adam, you remember the posters more than many of us do. Right. Like, I had to actually look and try to remember, like, what Winter Soldier well, looked like. And not only that, but they have yeah. multiple ones. Well, that's true. I mean, and now, especially they do a lot of, they do the IMAX poster, they do the teaser poster. Right. They do, so there's lots of iterations, but that's that was kind of my point when I thought of this category, because if one was really going to stand out, it must have been iconic on some level. And so I, the fact that people would mm. choose Civil War, I mean, I can see that because it, it's fairly simplistic. I mean, because you have to be disappointed by a lot. And there have been online debates, especially on Twitter and stuff, I think for Spider-Man Homecoming in particular, when they just throw as many images and Photoshop them together in different <laughs> sizes on a poster, that gets cluttered and people don't like that. If you could take a, a simple concept and represent it graphically and get get the point across about what your film is about. I think that's an amazing feat. So congratulations, whoever right. designed the civil war poster. Well, so on a side note real quick, just for a question for you, Adam, what mm -hmm. did you think of the Ragnarok poster? Cause I think that was a very different spin on it, but was it really? Well, like, with the whole neon and you had all the different characters, it was different than I thought the other ones that look much more superhero E I felt this one looked a little bit more retro. Like Guardians retro? of the Galaxy? Is that no, your point, I don't Jeremy? Think it did. <laughs> well, oh. no, I, I'm talking Doctor Strange. Like Ragnarok had it had vibes of Doctor Strange in it, and then most of the posters since have kind of gone the Ragnarok route where just characters upon characters upon characters just overflowing. I I don't know. Uh, it's really interesting. Because, yeah, for me, that shade of green, that neon green that they used, that I thought was very prominent in the Thor Ragnarok posters, made it very, like, stand out to me. I didn't like it personally, but I, I like, it 
Yeah, I thought it was very unique. But you remembered it for whatever reason. So I did, it in a bad way, but I did remember yeah. it. I mean, because my personal vote was for the Ant-Man poster, where it was just the tiny, tiny Ant-Man on a white background. Because it so perfectly explained what that character was going to be about. It's going to be a little bit of humor in this. And guess what? He gets little. That's uh-huh. his power. Uh-huh. You know, and so to me, like, I was just like, that's a, that's some amazing marketing right there. Because then people have to walk up to it really close. What is that dot? There's a guy there. It's an ant guy. An ant man, you say? I'll buy a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> that's the journey that I assume they went on. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about, yeah. But Civil War, all right. On to our next, uh, this category is probably going to get highly contested. Best costume. We had to turn to our fan votes in order to determine a winner. And the winner is... Spider-Man. I can see why. Why why do you guys think that, that Spider-Man was voted? I think there's just one be, reason. This would be the Spider-Man costume like in Civil War or Yeah, in be? Civil War. Okay. Cuz the homecoming one is usually is like it's the the homemade one. Yeah. That he spent yeah. some time in, but yeah, we're talking the the main one that he was introduced in Civil War. I mean, it is iconic. You know, and they did do, you know, it's the red and the blue with the spider in the middle. And I feel like this is the costume that people knew before these movies came out. And so they actually had a frame of reference to compare Iron Man. This is the only Iron Man people have known. This is the only Thor people have known Captain America. They don't know what Captain America, you know, looked like. They may have heard of him. Yeah, I mean, it's to me, it's the it was the least tweaked from the comic book design of the character. Mm. It had translated in a way that, it, you know, it didn't look like rubber. It did. It looked like cloth and it looked like it was on this young teenage body. And, it, you know, so everything that you imagined Spider-Man would be in live action when you're looking at a comic book page, they brought it to life. And I, so I, I felt like that was probably why people would be so excited about it because mm. it's just like, there he is. That's the real Spider-Man. It's there's no shades of gray about it. I don't have to talk, you know, talk to the costume designer. Why'd you make this choice? Why'd you make this choice? There he is. Aside from like a few little marks on his shoulder, upper arm, you know, like that was about the only thing that was different. And so, yeah, I think that was just a great choice. I agree wholeheartedly. Mm. Wasn't what I voted for, but still a good choice. (laughs) All right. Next category is for best director. This one was a tight one, but we do have a winner. Joss Whedon. Give that man the statue. He's earned it. Now, is Joss Whedon as good a director as he is a screenwriter? And what's well, the difference? As an audience member, can we tell the difference? To me, going back to Loki winning best villain, I think the way that Joss Whedon shot Tom Hiddleston in that film made him look more menacing, made him feel more evil. And so to me, like 
from that perspective, in addition to the amazing work that he did bringing all those franchises together and giving everybody their moment to shine, having a meaning to the plot. Yes, his screenwriting ability was fantastic. But I feel like what he did to make everybody look good was also fantastic. So, you know, cinematography wise. I know. Isn't that the cinematographer, though, that gets the credit? Mm, I I feel like it's... It gets really tricky. With so where exactly. where do you fall on a director? That what did the director do in right. a film that makes it a big that, deal? That's blocking. The <laughs> well, the, the one thing that I would say, and and again, it's really tough to tell where, and it depends on the director, from what I've heard, is that like where the director ends. Like for example, like how much credit do you give George Lucas for the original Star Wars? You know, like, it's not like he was telling, hey, John, like, can you make something? No, John Williams did it on his own. So it's a tough thing. For me, the closest that I come is that Marvel, especially phase one, is that they were making different styles of movies and so they got different directors so like we were talking about uh john jim johnson john jimson jim <laughs> whatever the guy that did captain america who is known for doing the rocketeer and joe so, johnston joe johnson yes. i got some of those letters right uh is so again and so captain america felt like the rocketeer and then you got kenneth brana to do thor so it felt more shakespearean and more you know like that and then they got, uh, uh, you know, John Favreau to do Iron Man. And so that and that and that. And then you kind of get Joss Whedon, who, again, I, I, I don't – I think you're right, Adam, is that that whole, like, bringing it all together, that must have been a big deal. But then I watched Justice League, and I go, is he really that good? He didn't uh, say – that's <sighs> studio interference, same deal with Age of Ultron, because I could easily have not voted for him by saying, well, then he made a second film and he blew it. But to me, Marvel's The Avengers, because you look at like Ryan Coogler got basically a continuity free pass to make Black Panther. James Gunn basically has his own universe to play in with Guardians. Joss, like you said, had to work with everything that came before, bring it together. But most of all, when we were talking about what did the director do? Why was he a good director? The relationships in that film, the banter, the way the characters interact to me is so organic and feels so real and natural. And that's what I think he created on his set among the actors. He accomplished that by working with them. And so that's where I think he earns his best director uh, credit for sure. And then also the feel too, because if, if mm-hmm. like from my perspective, saying that if the, the director is the one responsible for the feel and the style of the movie, having, like you said, a movie that brings all of these styles together and does feel organic. Yeah, although you bring up a good point. I don't even think about like, if if it's if we're just giving him a best director, not best director for one movie, then like the plus of of Avengers, does he get a minus for Ultron? And then uh, I, don't know. <laughs> I I base it on single movie accomplishment, and I I think he more than Fair earned enough. it with this one. Good job, Joss Whedon. All right, this is more divisive than I thought it would be. <laughs> because it turns out people interpreted the question a little differently. Oh. <laughs> so most improved franchise. Mm. Oh, I thought this would be a runaway easy one for people oh, really? to get on board with. Yeah, it was actually a tie and it's going to be very surprising. So 
First off, we all thought, or I would assume most of us thought, that Thor, the Thor franchise, would be the most improved because it came out with a decent opener, a terrible second one, and the third one reinvented, reinvigorated the franchise to where it's a viable thing to continue making Thor. Whereas I think had it bombed, you wouldn't see any more Thor. So the movie, the franchise it tied with is not Iron Man. Oh, why would it? No, come on. Iron Man? Did you see Iron Iron Man 3? Iron Man just kind of nosedived. It it did a little dip with Iron Man 3 after Iron Man 2, but the actual franchise it tied with was Captain America. See, that was the one I thought people would vote for because everybody loved uh, Civil War. And Winter Soldier, too. Yeah. I mean, I guess that would be the only thing is if they thought Civil War was not an improvement on Winter Soldier. And that's what I've heard a lot in the forums and talking with people. That's kind of the downside with the Captain America franchise. Yes, you can say it's all escalation all the time. Every movie better than the next. But in digging a little deeper, you can say, well, it peaked at Winter Soldier kind of took a step backward with civil war it wasn't it wasn't its own full-out story wasn't as fleshed out i would say is what i'm hearing love civil war though just because it got everybody now personally i don't think civil war should have been called a captain america movie it was an iron man movie i mean the movie started with iron man (laughs) and it was mostly about iron man uh, Captain America just kind of showed up and just kind of like, what? Wait, you, hey, come, what? Uh, he was just chasing the story the whole time. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm kind of surprised. Yeah, it seemed like people, I think my feeling is that critics and us, whatever we call ourselves, we like Winter Soldier maybe more. Like a lot of us call it like the, the best Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know that your general audience people, I think if they had to choose between Winter Soldier and Civil War, they choose Civil War because we want to see all the heroes fighting. Right, we want the to airport see, scene. You know, the airport scene, we want to see like all that sort of stuff like that. Whereas Winter Soldier can get a little somber. And most general audiences, I don't know that they enjoy somber. Well, not just somber. It's a little more heady. You have to yeah. think through it. And there's themes to it that it's like, wait a second, we were putting our trust there, and now something's wrong. Uh, Now we question everything kind of thing. And some people don't like that. But yeah, they do love when all their heroes are on the screen punching each other. So that 16 minutes of airport scene probably pushed Civil War ahead in the general public. Which would then be the same thing with Ragnarok, is that then... Agreed. Yeah, again... Most people think Thor 2 was a step backwards. And then with Thor 3 being a completely different movie, but you throw the Hulk in there. And so already, you know, you've got more heroes. And then you throw in Valkyrie, and then you throw in Scourge, apparently. Is he a hero? I don't know. But I mean, uh, does that mean that they were cheating both franchises? Because Captain America's like, I'm just going to throw a bunch of characters in here. And then Thor's like, we got Hulk now. So it's just basically they, if they stack it and don't make it about themselves, then they get an improved award. Hmm. I suppose. They're I, playing yeah. the game. They're playing the game. I they wanted that Coulson right. on the mantle. 
It could be what it is, yep. All right, so the coolest realm, kingdom, or base of operations. This one was a runaway. Wakanada. Oh, no, Wakanda. <laughs> I had to do a banner is there. Wakanda cool? Now, because our phrasing is specifically coolest, right? Right. Adam, explain your question. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that was it. That was just what which area of the Marvel Universe did people think was the most interesting they wanted to be involved in that they wanted to see more of and so oh, okay. that's actually surprising to me the I mean I know people love Black Panther is Wakanda intriguing because yes. I would say coolest could be just like let's be like the people from Wakanda are pretty cool I mean they show up and they're like hey we're more advanced than the entire world and we're going to be like we're going to share it with you guys like if you're doing cool, like, you know, hip or whatever, that's maybe different. Intriguing, you know, that might have been a different sort of a question. You I think don't know. It, so it's is that term coolest. Well, hey, Wakanda's cool, man. Wakanda's that's for cool. sure. Everybody's okay. on board with it. So. Would you want to live in Wakanda is my question. You just might. Think yeah. of all the technological advances they have there. There's probably a lot of cool stuff we didn't see, yet we saw quite a bit in Siri's lab, and they got rhinos to ride. So, yeah. <laughs> Battle well, rhinos. only the one guys do, right? Did they <laughs> right. all ride the border tribe? Right. They didn't certainly didn't make the astral plane look very inviting in in <laughs> Doctor Strange. Uh, and Asgard, can we even still vote for Asgard? It doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, can you vote I don't for know destroyed <laughs> well and that's that tough part too is that you guys the question did include the word realm which is funny because marvel has been very non-committal on that like because asgard is a realm but marvel didn't like that idea and i know in agents of shield they kept wanting to say no 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 it's an alien planet and these guys are just aliens from this planet and so consequently them leaving asgard in a spaceship and then meeting Thanos or whatever kind of fits in with that. But then it's like, so then Asgard's an alien planet? I don't know. That gets awfully weird if you ask me. But as the Realm <laughs> Eternal, if you're talking comic book-wise, Asgard's pretty awesome, man. You got that fruit that you can eat, you know? It's pretty cool. <laughs> well, yeah, all the Thor movies talked about it being a realm, or at least the first two did, I know, because they talked That's about just the how nine they realms. To it. Right. Yeah, well, except for the, yeah, I know. Well, that was my point, is that they kind of, I feel like Marvel didn't want to go solidly one way or the other. Because in the comics, it's always that problem. This is like, so is he literally a god? Were the Norse actually right when they worshipped these guys back because they are literally gods? What does that all mean? But then they wanted the whole space thing. And then they even had in Thor 2, I think the Dark Elves came in spaceships or something from their mm -hmm. Dark Elf world. So I don't know. It got kind of weird. Yeah, it could be that, that it was just like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. They don't have an understanding of different realms. So anything not Earth related would be considered an alien. Mm. And that would it's be all how they rectify perspective. things. Perspective. Right. I can get behind that. So I, I do think this category has a bit of recency bias. Mm. Could be because Black Panther is still dominating at the box office. It's now like the number four movie. Is it really? Overall, like it's bearing down on the top movies. It's the the highest grossing superhero movie. And yeah, it's it's 
pretty dominant. So Wakanda forever. Wakanda, Wakanda forever, forever is what they say. Uh, on to the best recasting decision. This was close. It was between Bruce Banner and Rhodey. And the winner is... Rhodey with Don Cheadle. By yeah. a slim margin. I am so on board for that. Because that was the only thing I did not like about the first Iron Man was Terrence Howard. He was too soft-spoken, too smooth in my mind for this war veteran, especially to be the man who one day becomes War Machine. Like, when Don Cheadle was announced for Iron Man 2, I was all in on him showing up, and I feel like he hasn't disappointed. Rhodey isn't, like, the biggest character. I mean, he was pretty cool in their buddy cop situation in Iron Man 3, you know, but I felt like Terrence Howard did not fit the vibe as things have moved on. So, because my understanding was, as we said, he had won an Oscar. He was wanting too much money to appear in Iron Man 2 for his return performance. So they just said, sorry, we don't need you that badly. We're at still a young studio. And there's also the animosity between him and Robert Downey Jr. from the actual movie set. So some of that angst that you see on screen, that's real. Mm. Oh, so really, when when you have your star of this franchise and this series and kicking off a universe, sorry, Rhodey, you're getting replaced. I don't know the, the the thing that like in the comics, I feel like we're supposed to like Rhodey. Rhodey is the moral is is even more likable than Tony Stark because Tony Stark's kind of a jerk. But then he becomes War Machine, and so by definition, War Machine should be less likable. He should be all about war. Like, that's his thing. Well, he is. He's a soldier. Exactly. So for me, Don Cheadle is a little bit too nice and too lovable to be called someone named War Machine. Terrence Howard is War Machine? Whoa, dude. Like, I would be intimidated by Terrence Howard showing up. What in the world? When he talks like this? It doesn't matter. But that's the point. That's not cool. No, he doesn't (laughs) talk like Michael Jackson. He does. (laughs) He's got kind of, because he's got this, like, solemn, reserved sort of way about him where it's just, it's almost not sinister, but it just seems like he could just snap and shoot you in the face. Whereas Don Cheadle... I don't know. I feel like he's going to make a joke or give you a hug or, you know, break into a <laughs> British accent or something. I don't know. I knew that was going to come up. Yeah. <sighs> but then All on the right. flip side, though, if we are talking about, like, I'm not convinced that it was a better recasting choosing Mark. Well, it wasn't a choice, but having Mark Ruffalo replace Edward Norton. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I could. Yeah, Incredible Hulk to me was a good movie. I mean, the villain scenario, again, always a problem in that. But I I felt like his performance and the original cut of that film that he had actually written. I mean, that was part of the deal is basically they said he said, like, I'll come in, I'll play this part if you let me rewrite the screenplay oh, wow. and there there is so many deleted scenes on the blu-ray that are amazing like they would have enhanced the film so much instead they just went action 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 and mm. so i i feel like yeah if the, he could have continued i think it would have been you know a nice story to still get you know to to expand on that character a little bit more because i think that was a good direction they were taking the character Mark Ruffalo is likable, though. I mean, like in Ragnarok and in the other ones where he's just kind of a goofball. 
I don't know if that's again that's not what how Edward Norton played him. It's a different like that dynamic in the Avengers worked mostly I would say because of Mark Ruffalo. He was kind of the glue that held it all together yeah. with his just kind of like oh Mark Ruffalo you love this guy. <laughs> <laughs> all right, next up we've got most heroic moment. Oh boy, this had such a variety of moments, and we've had eighteen movies of heroics. Uh, let's see what the winner is. Captain America, period. <laughs> <laughs> Everything he does, every every breath he takes, heroic. Uh, the the leading options for him of heroic moments: crashing the plane, rescuing the four hundred men, jumping out of an airplane with no parachute. Well, that's just cool. I don't know how heroic yeah, that is. I don't know that's how heroic, like... but. If right. you ask me, he he earns the most heroic moment when he jumps on that dud grenade Agreed. and he basically sacrifices himself, but doesn't have to to save all those other soldiers in his boot camp. Like that's a big, big moment to show you who Steve Rogers really is. But, well, but technically he's not Captain America, so that would be a right. Steve Rogers moment, not a Captain <laughs> America moment. So for me, and like, and we were just watching a clip of it actually in the one shot, the the Peggy Carter one shot. That scene where he does crash the plane is pretty heroic. I mean, not only just the action of what he's doing, but the way that the movie does it, where he's got the long goodbye with Peggy. I mean, long for crashing a plane at least. Right. Uh, the music is swelling. He's doing it in full knowledge of exactly what's going to happen to him. And he's doing it anyway. And he's got stuff that he's given up. I mean, that's one of the reasons I love Thor is because Thor had to basically prove himself a hero in order to be a hero. And so that's kind of, that's Captain America's big moment of like, I mean, I guess he already was Captain America. Like you said, Jeremy, rescuing all those guys and everything. But that was the climax of that movie for sure. Well-deserved. Congratulations, Cap. All right. Here is our variety category. Best short film that could include the one shots and stuff like that. Here we go. Digging in. And it's all of the little shorts of Thor and where he was during Civil War, including Team <laughs> Daryl. Oh, those are fantastic. That was obviously the seeds, right, that were planted to lead you into Thor Ragnarok right. that showed you, okay, so, Hemsworth has a sense of humor. Wait, I'm so confused. So wait, Adam, but you said you hated Ragnarok because it was a comedy, <laughs> but you loved the reason that there was a Ragnarok, what spoiled Chris Hemsworth. I don't understand. Let me explain. I want it in little 10-minute bits. <laughs> I don't want it for two hours. <laughs> so That's it was good. hilarious when I could laugh and say, okay, this isn't, you know, maybe it's in continuity or maybe it's just a good joke to laugh at and I can throw it away. In the meantime, they said they took it too far and said, okay, we're going to destroy your entire world, but you're going to have a lot of laughs along the way. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I don't like that. Is it Team Daryl? Because I saw the the very I don't know if it's the last one, but the one they made after Ragnarok, right? Is that with after Jeff Goldblum, the destruction. Then yeah, the Grandmaster moves in with with Daryl. But the it is that funny thing that it's just like kind of like we talked about with Ragnarok is that watching those, it's like huh, this is an 
even close to Thor. Like, why would Thor do any of these things? And like, where he's, you know, he's joking about like, get a job. Come on. I'm like, literally (laughs) the definition of your character is humbleness. The reason you became the God of Thunder was because you gave up your pride. And now you're laughing at your pride. Like, oh, well, but the joke was the joke. So. Well, congratulations, Daryl, accepting the award on behalf of Thor. (laughs) All right. Digging in. This is for best post-credit scene. Oh, boy. We have a tie. And they both involve Tony Stark. Here we go. Tony Stark visiting Thunderbolt Ross in the bar. Teasing the Avenger initiative. Oh, yeah. Which technically comes after the other one it tied with which wasn't supposed to be a tease at all or an easter egg but it's nick fury showing up to tease and invite tony to become part of the avengers initiative i mean that's the one for sure you know like you said it wasn't intended because they didn't know where they were taking anything or if there would be even another movie after hulk right but it's yeah i mean that moment was so huge, especially for any comic book fan and anybody who had been reading mm-hmm. like, you know, five or six years prior to that with the Ultimates comic book to see Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury as based on Samuel L. Jackson in the, in the Ultimates. I mean, that was a big, just wrap your head around that. And he really did it. He's really there. Mm-hmm. Like, that's so cool. Apparently on the Internet, people really love that second post credit scene in The Avengers where they're just sitting around Shwarma. eating. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it, but like apparently it's all the like that's the one that a lot of people love for some reason. Well, the Schwarma thing was a big viral deal right after Avengers. I mean, everybody, yeah, we talked about that for quite a quite a while. I don't know if shawarma sales have continued to grow since then. <laughs> okay, that one wasn't even planned. It was shot after they debuted the film. Like they had the premiere and since everybody was in town, they somebody came up with the idea and that's why you have Steve Rogers covering his face cuz he had facial hair for another movie. Yeah. Oh, and they put, they put a prosthetic chin on him to yeah. cover it up. Yeah. It's the spontaneous like gag post-credit scene. It didn't build mm. anything other than I guess team unity. Kind of, but they weren't even talking to each other. Yeah, but I think the winners being Nick Fury and you know Tony Stark moving on the next step from Nick Fury approaching him. I mean that makes sense to be so iconic for people because that was the first time we saw those things that summer right so we were seeing oh there's end credit seeds and people still haven't gotten the message stay until the lights go up in the theater please (laughs) or you're gonna miss something you know so if nothing else this award show can remind people of that right and it is i know it's that crazy thing that now and mostly because of marvel is that because you know they didn't invent the post credit scene, but they're the ones that made it like one, like a can't miss, and two, that idea that like they're actually story elements that are involved in the post credit scenes, and like if you would like that was the thing with well Guardians of the Galaxy and a couple of other ones where it was like they just didn't feel connected to the mar- the MCU at all until that post credit scene. So it was almost like it was a big key element that you shouldn't miss. So yeah, I thought yeah that was an interesting element to bring to movie making 
Yeah, I mean, and, and I mean, for me, like, that's why I voted for the Thanos smiles at the end of Avengers, just when you're like, oh, Thanos exists. And then now we're at Infinity War. It all started there. And then plus, like, later on when he does the fine, I'll do it myself. Like, just all those little teases of Thanos felt to me like a very big deal, too. Like, so I'm surprised that with the hype of Infinity War, that didn't get the vote. But I can understand Nick Fury, man. I'm all on board for that. Yes, although I don't know how you don't vote Dancing Groot behind uh, uh, <laughs> Drax. Drax, yeah. That was a good one. All right, on to the best Easter egg. Yeah, it was a little close. And the winner is Capsicle. Hey. In the Incredible Hulk deleted scene alternate opening, which is referenced in Avengers as being canon when... Banner talks about putting a gun in his mouth and pulling the trigger and the other guy spit it out. That's what happened in this deleted scene from the Incredible Hulk. Wow. Yeah, I voted for that. I'm surprised that anybody else was on board yeah. with that. I'm, I'm excited. because that was. Was And deal. that's why. <laughs> does that... Does that count as an Easter egg in the one that no one was supposed to see? Well, I remember it being online quite a bit. I guess before that does the, Before that, the yeah. Blu-ray even came out, yeah. I think that, that Marvel put it out and said, look, this didn't make the film, but look what we were trying to do for you is uh-huh. give you this Easter egg. And so it, it got a lot of press. Again, that's just part of that writing that was being done that got cut out. And I think that would have added so much more gravitas to the film and get you in Bruce Banner's head. But I thought that was so cool that Joss Whedon brought it back in Avengers. And then we got to have, you know, some resolution to that. All right. Next category, the coolest casting. Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark was a runaway. I think to Jeff's point earlier, it was just one of those things where it was his return, but it was also it made an impact because you're like, oh, well, this is you know an Oscar winning actor, right? Didn't he win for Chaplin? Chaplin yes. Yeah. So, I mean, to get him in there now playing this almost unknown superhero at the time. Well, and at the same time, he was somebody who had gone into rehab and yeah. spent oh, yeah. time in jail and insurance companies would not insure him to be on a movie set and so for them to fight for uh, this is pretty much favreau he fought for him because he knew how much robert downey jr could relate to tony stark who has had his own demons demon in the bottle and has come out the other side and this this was a resurrection for robert downey jr Somewhat, although he had really like he was kind of already back to being a big deal. Like he did this kiss, was, kiss, bang, bang. Yeah, yeah, this was the same year that he did Tropic Thunder, so he was already kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah, like you said, kiss, kiss, bang, bang, and, and stuff like that. But either way, he was still considered kind of he still had a, a dark. Yeah, and, and just the fact that he is the face of the MCU on screen, right? If you have Tony Stark in a film, you, you just feel good, and he is the guy that everybody thinks of when they think of this universe that's been created. He was there at the beginning. He's continuing to pave the way will he continue after infinity war we'll find out but uh always a welcome face it's true although i would go going back to like you were saying adam with the word coolest man it is hard as much as i i kind of uh bemoan uh ragnarok it is hard not to say jeff goldblum because he (laughs) 
that changed the entire dynamic of that movie, having Jeff Goldblum in there. And yeah, he made an impact. All right. To our rookie of the year. This was between Spider-Man Homecoming, Black Panther, and Doctor Strange. The winner is... Black Panther was the runaway choice. Was there any doubt? It was actually really close with Spider-Man. Yeah. Well, Tom Holland's so lovable, but Black Panther is just a movement. You know, like that is just a cultural moment in time we are in. So I can see how that would just steamroll any competition starring Benedict. I'd say even more than that, that just like compared to the other two, I would say it's a superior movie. I mean, Homecoming wasn't bad. It was fine. But it was just like Black Panther was just a better film, personally. Mm. All right. This one is also a runaway. Most iconic line. I am Iron Man. (laughs) Yeah. I guess so. I mean, what what more can you say about it? Tony said it all. That's just a great bit of performance, too. Watching what's going on behind Robert Downey Jr.'s eyes as he's saying all those things. And he's like, you know, they're all pushing him to read the cards. And he's just like, yeah, yeah. You know, obviously, I'm not the hero type, you know. But just watching the wheels turn until he just, I need this moment. (laughs) You know, just spurts it out. Which is kind of interesting. Uh, do Do you guys think... Like, because that's been one of maybe not quite critiques, but at least uh, uh, an observation is that kind of one of the tropes of the superhero genre, at least in the comic books, is the alter ego. And that's what, you know, they always say it's so important. I mean, like we see that somewhat in Spider-Man. It's so important to protect the the people around us because we don't want to bring the bubble. But Marvel did away with that with this line. Like, yeah. no more alter egos. So every, I mean, one, Thor never had an alter ego. He was supposed to be Donald Blake. They never even did that. Uh, everyone knows that Steve Rogers is Captain America. Uh, Black Widow, she's not much of a spy anymore because everybody knows that she's, you know, a superhero. Well, and then they also released all of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s records and everything onto the internet. So, I mean, there's really nobody that has an alter ego except for those that have come onto the scene post Winter Soldier. And that's you've got Daredevil on the TV side and Spider-Man. Well, and I feel like it's part of their character. I mean, like, it's a big part of Spider-Man's character that no one knows who he is because he's a kid. Right. Because he can't get away with it. Same thing with Daredevil, like, that he's always worried about the the backlash and everything. But it's that weird thing is that then Marvel has kind of done away with that with everybody else. Why is no one else worried about those things except for those two characters? I don't know. It's kind of a weird thing I think about, which I guess we're okay with i don't know why that would be a problem coming up will be interesting to see how that continues developing with the additional heroes showing up all right funniest moment there were so many moments recommended we had to kind of cluster them into character because Everybody has their own favorite moment, and nobody had multiple. So the funniest character I'm changing this question to is Tony Stark, based on all the votes. He does have the best one. The best zingers. Up until recently. 
I was right. going to say Jeff Goldblum, oh. I'm surprised, did not win that oh. because how it's could you not true. love everything he did <laughs> that, in that movie? Uh, it's true. But uh, that one, what is it? The one where he, that she wants to like vaporize Loki and like, yeah. what? No, that's not a vaporizing offense. That one's pretty <laughs> Although Judy did vote for, which I was really hard to not vote for the same one. She voted for, what is it, the one, the line in Civil War where after Giant Man becomes Giant Man. Does anyone else have any shocking powers that they want to reveal right about now? I'm open to, That's yeah, pretty good that was, that was good. A lot of those lines, usually there's not this much talking involving in fighting kid, talking to Spider-Man, yeah. Yeah, now that's the only thing I have heard about Infinity War up to this point, which I found very surprising, is it said early reviews are praising the humor of Infinity War. And I'm like, I, I guess you need humor to cut through that much tension as to things that are going to happen. Now, but I was okay, just like, I, really? I, I do need to clarify here. Nobody, they've not screened the full movie for anyone. And the directors have come out and they've published and pushed it to the fans and said, hey, select portions. And the latest, like, review places that have seen screenings, it was a 24-minute segment. That's all Ah, they saw. So that could just be a a chunk that's got a little bit of darkness, a little bit of humor. Uh, I I don't know. They are being very overly secretive because they say Infinity War not having a name for Avengers 4 coming out next year should scare the crap out of us. And they've said that they are not going to reveal the title for a little while after Infinity War because they want Infinity War to settle and sit with the fans. So there are some things that are going to happen and nobody is safe. I'm just putting that out there. Nobody is safe. But at the same time, nobody really dies in a comic book. Come on now. Like, yeah, they all right. come back eventually. So let's not be too crazy. But I would say, though, like, to your point, Adam, is that ever since the beginning, comedy is a big thing to Marvel. And right. as as they showed with Thor, going away from comedy is not, like, they've decided that's a bad idea. Yeah. And then especially when James Gunn proved through through Guardians of the Galaxy that like that's the era that of Marvel that we're in now. We're mm-hmm. in the one-line zinger era. So I would expect plenty of, maybe not to the extent of like Ragnarok, but I'm going to expect plenty of zingers in Infinity War. Just it's a Marvel trope at this point. I mean, essentially they summed it up in Iron Man 3. Uh this is totally the reason why he won because uh, Tony Stark win the chick is chasing him through the restaurant. She says, a cheap trick and a cheesy one-liner. That pretty much sums up Tony Stark. It's true. All right, on to the next category, Best Stan Lee Cameo. Oh, boy, so many, so many good ones. I'm surprised the one in Thor didn't, or in Ragnarok, didn't get more votes here. Uh, Cutting Thor's hair. But the winner is Tony Stank, <laughs> the delivery guy. 
He's had many, many roles, had many faces in the MCU, but coming in as the FedEx driver at the end of Captain America Civil War, asking for Tony Stank, that was a performance. See, because I feel it wasn't that more about Don Cheadle, though. I mean, if if they would have just kind of like looked at each other, then that would have been like, eh. Well, that was the one for me where I always felt like it was it was Stanley playing a character where it made sense for him to just show up and be a guy, and yeah. you know. So like, I I feel like that was that was why it always got a legitimate laugh for me, and it never felt forced. I was like, mm-hmm. this old man being a FedEx driver, okay, yeah, you know, instead of a veteran or a guy on a bus or whatever, you know, like it, it works so much better for me. Pretty much, that sums it up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Best competition. This one, it wasn't even close. Uh, Best competition for the MCU and Marvel Studios amongst the the friendly competition. Fox, Sony, Warner Brothers. The only one even remotely close is... Let's see... Fox! I, I had to make sure I had the right envelope. I didn't want an Oscars fiasco here. Yeah, I, I didn't want to announce Sony. <laughs> that, even really though you Fox. already said there was never any doubt, but the answer is. So. <laughs> uh, but wait, because the question did say friendly competition. Now, is there unfriendly competition or is it just... Warner Brothers is still kind of the enemy. Sony and Fox are the ones playing ball now. And Warner Brothers, you know, obviously they don't have any need to be nice to Disney or the Marvel right. universe. So I feel like they that's don't the big the Marvel battle. properties, do they? No, no. But, but I mean, I, I think the, the point is both of them were holding back and the fact that well, one was absorbed and the other is playing ball. But Fox specifically, like we mentioned, got the Marvel movie train rolling, you know, Blade, X-Men, Fantastic Four, all that. Personally, for me, Fox won the vote simply because of X-Men First Class and creating that universe with Fassbender and McAvoy. Yeah. Uh, I think they're amazing. I think it's sad, but we pretty much only got two movies with that casting and group, uh, you know, of any real big substance. I wish they could have got their own solo film again or solo universe to work in without Hugh Jackman getting involved. Plus they took a chance on Deadpool and Fox one big, you know? So I think you got to hand it to them. They've done the best Marvel without Marvel studios. And see with the, the wording of this question, I didn't want to sway any votes because in the comics world, it was always the distinguished competition in yes. alluding to DC. <laughs> oh, I get it. So friendly competition. It was the illusion, but not full on saying DC Warner Brothers. Well, so let's see. So X-Men came out in 2000 and Spider-Man came out in 2002. Because for me, especially Spider-Man and the, like the Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2, they were the superior comic book movies up until the Nolan ones came out. Like the X-Men, I, I would agree with you, Adam, that first class was a big deal. But I mean, I guess just by sheer breadth of the offering that they did a yeah. lot more. Plus the fact that for me, which I think is more and like Jeremy, you were talking about at the front that uh, will be interesting to see going on is that Fox, of course, Fox did it because that's what Fox does. Fox did break through the R-rated barrier. So it's going to be interesting to see what that does for the superhero oeuvre. 
All right, we are down to three categories remain. We're going to go with favorite Marvel movie here. And the winner is pretty much the one that kicked it off, Iron Man. I can see just the sheer, the writing of that film is so strong. The performances are great. I didn't really know Jeff Bridges prior to Iron Man. Like that was pretty much my introduction to Jeff Bridges. You know, I wasn't a big Lebowski fan or anything like that. So I think he totally transforms himself in that film in a big way. My favorite parts of Iron Man are just the banter with Pepper and Tony. I think they did a great job and they tried to recreate it in Iron Man 2 and it didn't work. But I think in that first one, they really made that connection clear that they had. I'm curious, like favorite, because that question of favorite, like, is there a certain level of, I don't know, it sounds weird to call it nostalgia, but is there just like a connection to that first Iron Man movie as the one that got us superhero crazy that we just have that fond connection to it? compared to the ones that have come since? Yeah, I mean, favorite is very subjective, but I imagine there is a nostalgia there, but at the same time, I think it's just, it's a movie you can always go back to and you can Mm. feel the emotional moments of it again and again. And I think if you're trying to say like what encapsulates the Marvel Universe, to me, I voted for the Avengers because I feel like that took out of everything and brought it to us on one plate and said, look, Mm. this is what the Marvel universe is going to be about. But if there was another main course, it would definitely be Iron Man because it it just, it is, there's a reason they were able to make more movies after that. And there's a reason people were disappointed by Iron Man two, when it came out, they're like, but it's not Iron Man one. It's not. I mean, it was just such a great film. Mm. I would say that's why it won. And Iron Man is also one where they it's the only Marvel one that stays on Hulu. Enough people keep watching it, they keep it on there. Uh, hmm. The other movies have kind of come and gone, but that's the one that's always there. And yeah, it's one that you can just pop in and you know where things are, you know how things are going to play out, but it's enjoyable. It's like, I would assume, watching videos of your kids when they were younger and thinking about how they've grown and how things have changed since because you have all of this added experience that goes back into that movie and ties to it. So that's kind of where I'm sitting. We had the favorite. Now we have the best. And the winner is another tie. Captain America, Winter Soldier, and Civil War. Both of them. Well, wow. Both of them. Well, yeah. People love Civil War, man. It just makes sense that, you know, critically, Winter Soldier still in many people's eyes, you just hold it up. That was the best. And the general public with Civil War. Exactly. So congrats, Cap. Way to go. Yeah. The best. And the final category. Now, well, this one could get interesting. This one is called... The Phil Coulson Award for Best Death in a Marvel Film. And the winner... Yondu and Coulson. Another tie. Those are the two deaths that stuck with people. Quicksilver you really didn't get much out of. (laughs) Well, it's tough, too. Because, like, for me, I would pick Groot. But it's hard to call Groot a death because he came back. So, well, so did yeah. Coulson. Well, that's true, but not on. Not, no, no, not no, no, in... no, no. Let me let me square this away here. James Gunn has repeatedly stated 
This is not our Groot from Guardians of the Galaxy 1. It is Groot's offspring. Oh. Either way, I think that's not what... I mean, it's still Vin Diesel, and that's that's what the audience... Right. The audience still calls hit Groot and thinks it's the same creature <laughs> and whatever. That's why he... You follow him on Twitter, you'll hear that response repeatedly. Because, I don't know, for me, Yondu's death in Guardians... One, I felt like his death was relatively pointless. I'm like, why? No, just... This is not necessary for you to die right now. It kind of seemed like he's just like, well... That's the end of me. But the way that they handled his death afterwards, his memorial, them shooting off firework thingies and all that sort of stuff like that, that, like you're saying, Jeremy, I think that made it more memorable because the death itself, and also Yondu, I'm like, why do I care about this guy? This guy was the bad guy for a movie and a half. (laughs) And now he's dead? Okay. So I don't know. Coulson, yeah, again, same sort of a thing where he came back. So does it count? Does it really count because the award is named after him? Yes, that was <laughs> going to be my point. <laughs> it's the Coulson Awards handing out the Phil Coulson Death Award to <laughs> Phil Coulson. Ah. I don't know. I felt, to be perfectly honest, and no offense, these are your awards, Agent Coulson. I kind of felt like his death was a little contrived. I'm sorry, but like, oh, and he had Captain America's baseball card in his hand. I'm like, seriously? Come on, dude. Is this like fourth grade? Like that's so it was it was a little cheesy for me, to be honest. No, no, no. That's that was Fury playing it up. He went and smeared Colson's blood on those cards. Still, it was to still make it kinda... Yeah. Well, to me, the thing that we're gonna talk about why this award is named after Phil Colson, even if does he deserve to win in this scenario. I just feel like he was, for that phase one, he was all the glue that was holding everything together, right? You would see Coulson in all the films. He would pop up at least in a post-credits scene or whatever. And so to me, like, he was special, but he also had a charisma and a little bit of his nerd side or whatever. And I, I keep feeling like they're trying to do that with Martin Freeman's character now, and it's not working. Yeah. So he is... One of a kind. Phil Coulson was a uh, one and only. Well, that that will wrap up our awards show. What do we see happening here in Infinity War? This is time for your predictions. And where does the MCU go from here? Everybody dies. Yeah. <laughs> well, so for me, and this is, uh, I started off by saying, my hesitation with infinity war is that one it has to top everything else it has to be because every single movie they've made has been building to this one point and because like you guys have kind of talked about like there is a certain level of bigger better next i mean so now you've got to blow us away more so than the airport scene did in civil war like you've got to step it up a notch and this has to blow us away even more and Two, you've got to actually make this whole storyline make sense because they haven't done much about the Infinity Gauntlet and building it up. And like, I mean, they've introduced all this stuff, but nobody even knows about the Infinity Gauntlet yet, except for the Guardians. And so it's kind of like you got you got a lot of work to do storytelling wise. And three, like you were saying, Jeremy, is that we've got the hardest part that your big dogs, your Chris Evans, your Chris Hemsworth and your uh, Robert Downey Jr., they're ready to be done. And so 
you've got to somehow convince us in this movie, maybe the next movie, that it's okay that we're going to have Paul Bettany and we're going to have Rhodey and you're going to have all of these other cast of characters leading the way instead of Captain America and Iron Man and Thor and all that. That's kind of a tough sell. But all they have to do, they could do a total stinker of a movie, but the one way they could redeem it is the post-credit sequence teases Doctor Doom. And then boom. I'm sold. Like, well, anything else you're telling me, you give me Dr. Doom and I'm happy. Ooh, yeah, I mean, that would be a moment. I've really tried to stay spoiler free on this. Like I said, other than Chris Evans is so prominently featured that I just feel like, yeah, they're building him up to get rid of him. I don't know about the rest of them, though. Like, I could see Hawkeye, like, finally having his heroic death. And they're like, good, he's gone. But it, they'll, they'll at least write it well. I, I, I just, I can't wrap my head around this concept because i don't know 100 percent, you know other than thanos just wants to kill everybody anyway right so if he wins he wins right like that's ultimately what it comes down to and who who's going to survive so i'm more <laughs> focused on i want to see who rises up to be the central hero of the film. So is it going to be Chris Evans? I think it is, and he's going to make some big sacrifice. Or maybe it's just going to be like an abrupt killing, and we're going to be affected all the more by it. Because it's just like, gone, what? You know, and you have to cope with that. But I really almost don't know what to expect other than like they've been saying, there's nobody's safe. And so we're going to see how they handle a bunch of deaths. Whereas, like you said, Jeff, what is that final lead in to Avengers 4? What are they going to promise us at the end? Now we know they're closer to having X-Men and Fantastic Four. What can they do with that? I'm loving that they've taken this to a another level for secrecy. I We all know... We've got Jabber Jaws in Tom Holland and Mark Ruffalo and leaks get out. This one, they took it to another level here because the individual actors only got their parts for scenes. They didn't get to see what was coming before, after, what the lead in, just those guys they were sharing the scene with. That's it. There's a a handful, maybe two handfuls of people who know what the actual full story beginning to end is, but they've also taken it deeper in secrecy by multiple takes with multiple outcomes, and they've been able to ha kind of choose your own adventure this movie <laughs> just to keep the level of secrecy. And they they moved up the debut because they knew spoilers will hit the web. And if you're a company out there that does this, that reports on these movies, and all the fans are swearing themselves to secrecy, I won't spoil this, don't spoil this, and you're the company that goes out there just to get headlines and clicks, stop it. Go dark. Go dark for a week. Report on everything but this movie. Because people deserve to go in unspoiled and just experience it. It is going to be massive and it's going to be shocking. Just please do that. 
Well, and what you've said about the way they've handled the, the actual critics getting screenings in part, I think it's it speaks to the power and the influence of the MCU that at this point, it's a done deal. This may make more than Black Panther, it's hard to say, but it's one of those situations where everybody is invested in this, so they don't need good reviews for this. Everybody's going to go see it. Everybody wants to know what this is about. And so I, I feel like in a way that's a pretty exciting proposition. And it, again, it just speaks to what they've accomplished in these 10 years in a big way that they can do that. There's like, we're telling you nothing. Almost nobody knows anything about it. Take it as it comes, good or bad. We know you want to be there and we want to give it to you and finally give you an experience that can't be spoiled. So I think that's very awesome of them. And just to repeat that I'm stating this again, that I called it, we are going with scrolls. Ooh, whoa, I didn't even think about that. I forgot. I, I remember you dropping uh, that. I didn't Avengers even think about 4 this will include wow. scrolls. It may be Ooh. Secret War. It may be mm. Avengers Rebirth or something. It's going to blow our minds I'm betting they hold on to the title of that movie and announce it at Comic-Con, like, two months later. Well, because Scrolls, wouldn't they still be connected to the Fantastic Four? We so discussed the, this a while back. Yeah, so yeah. rights-wise, both Fox and Marvel, have the they share the rights, much like they did with Quicksilver. Ah, uh, okay. But Fox has all the rights to named scrolls oh, like, like the, the queen okay. the super scrolls the known ones but them as a race with shape-shifting abilities and things that's fair game and they're getting introduced and it's already been announced in captain marvel but that's set back in 1990 so they've been which around may for how long the groundwork yeah. for who amongst our uh, Avengers is a scroll and has been a scroll? It isn't that more heartbreaking than just somebody dying, but somebody you've invested in becoming a traitor after all that time you put into loving them. Yeah, I've I've been hearing a lot. A lot of people on the web are saying it's Black Widow. That's why she's ever changing in her look. <laughs> but I mean, sure that's why. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> A little too All obvious, right. but still, yeah, now I'm even more excited. Wow, I didn't even consider that possibility. So that that is going to be wild. Well, we want to thank everyone for joining us for the first annual Phil Coulson Awards. A moment of silence for the fallen agent and hero. And now we want to leave you with our sincerest thanks for supporting this award show and all our sequel quest and sequel chat reviews beyond the infinity war. If you survive, please come back, leave us a review on iTunes, tell people you like the show and we want to hear from you. Interact with us on social media, be a part of it. Give us your reactions. Who should have won which awards? I mean, you know, it was a divisive discussion even just on this show. So let's hear from you. And uh, until next time, Avengers! Avengers. 
and stumbling out of the Baxter building, or should I say the Avengers Tower? Uh, Mighty Jeff. <laughs> Jeff? Drum roll. Oh, shoot, I was muted. Well, I'm sorry. I was going to say it's clobbering time. It was dramatic pause. <laughs> Thank you. Give, give it to us again. It's, it's clobbering time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to join us next week for another discussion about a film that never was. Share your ideas with the Sequel Quest universe by visiting SequelQuestPod.com, following us on Twitter at SQPod, on Facebook by searching Sequel Quest, or sending an email to SequelQuestPod at gmail.com. Let the world know how much you enjoy the show by leaving a review and five-star rating on iTunes. All films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. 